You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or even game design. Joining Roger from WoW Dogs, and For the Lore is Joe, writer for World of Maticus, and Enrique of Spooncraft. Hello and welcome to For the Lore. This is our first podcast and as such it's a little important to go through a couple of details about the podcast and what you can expect while listening. One of the important things to note is that despite the name For the Lore, the the podcast will not be entirely lore related. That's not what we're about. What we're about is discussing story in games, story driven games even. Whereas we'll, I mean, we're we're going to be spending a lot of time, obviously, on role-playing games and the like, and, and the obvious MMOs. However, that's not going to preclude us from talking about games that are story-driven, even if they don't conform to that genre. Case in point, a first-person shooter that has a very deep story to it. I mean, we don't have to look any further than Left 4 Dead to be able to see that, and our excitement for Left 4 Dead too. We're obviously not going to be discussing any racing games or the likes, but again, we're going to keep it fairly open in terms of what types of games we're going to be discussing. That being said as well, when we're talking about games, we're going to be obviously covering different news about said games, but we're also going to be going a little deeper into it. Because of the level of experience that we have in terms of gaming and analyzing games and studying games and whatnot and and working towards even developing games we have a certain understanding and about games and, and an opinion about how we think they can be presented in perhaps a better manner. So what we do, and that's not to speak too highly of ourselves, everybody's got opinions in in terms of that, but whereas a lot of people spend time in games either concentrating solely on the gameplay in terms of leveling or in terms of accruing a small fortune and things like that, we tend to look at the story behind the game because if you look at a game at its core, what makes it as great as it can be is always going to be the story. It's not going to be the graphics, it's not going to be the sound, and it's not actually going to be the gameplay. Because you can have a game that does not play that well, but if the story is something that sucks you in, you will enjoy it. So we'll be covering a lot of the story behind games. We're also going to cover lore, we're going to be covering questing, and we're going to go beyond that as well to cover stories within games and stories that we create like fan fiction and role playing right down to old tabletop D&D thanks to Joe and with that I'm going to introduce the guest that well I should say co-host actually that I'm going to have on the podcast and we'll start with Joe. Joe how's it going? It's going pretty well thanks for uh, inviting me along on this little project. This is going to be a lot of fun and I'm very happy to have you. Now for those who are not aware, Joe is of course Ledger Online. He goes by Ledger ZG on or ZJ, sorry, on Twitter and he is a, you've been analyzing games forever and working towards game development and you are a the what the, what the main resto um, shaman writer for World of Maticus. That's safe to say, correct? That is correct. I'm the only one on the team for World of Maticus right for a resto shaman point of view. Uh, although Matt started up a Resto Shaman, did he not? I thought uh, I read his that. Shaman, his Shaman is more elemental. He just started getting into uh, 
restoration. Uh, I've been bugging him about that for a while, so I get to see what he says at the end of the week. Fantastic. So give us a little history about your gaming, what you're bringing to the table here. Oh, God. I've been gaming for about 15 years, give or take. Uh, started back in the days of Dungeons & Dragons before uh, before the good stuff, before the new stuff came out, back with Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, started playing with my father, and uh, he got me into video games, too, back in the Nintendo Entertainment System. As a kid, I got really drawn into the entire process of video games, everything that involved making them, what you had to do to write for them, the whole nine. Uh, from then, I moved on to more advanced role-playing games, games like space opera type stuff like Traveler, uh, Mechton, uh, and then other role-playing games such as the Final Fantasy series. The, this then bled into my current love of MMOs, and I've been picking them apart and putting them back together, adding suggestions all the way through. Uh, recently, within the last few years, I've decided to take my love of this the whole gaming industry as a whole, and just go right into game development. I'm actually uh, looking into actually getting a degree in design specifically for this. Uh, so many, many years behind the uh, looking behind the hood or under the hood for uh, many games. So have you actually started the, the schooling or you're going to be shortly? Uh, I've started the schooling by myself. I've actually uh, taken a lot of the University of Advancing Technologies reading and course list and been studying myself. Very cool. Basically, whenever I have free time. Yeah, there's actually a school that just opened in Ottawa not that long ago. You're just in case people are curious because it'll come up periodically. You're Buffalo, and I'm actually from Ottawa, Ontario, in Canada. But yeah, there's a school that opened up in Ottawa for game design, and it is something that's really interested me for a long time. The thing is, of course, you know. I got four kids. I got a wife. Got a mortgage. Got everything else, and I've got a good secure job. So it's a little bit harder to jump out of that into an unknown. But I would love to do what it is that you're going, what you are doing right now with the game design. It's uh, it's an interesting feeling, but I understand where you're coming from because I'm coming from a very secure, stable job as well. I'm a senior network engineer for a major internet provider. And uh, the good thing, though, is my job has actually offered to help front my tuition. So nice. uh, my my boss has realized that this is a major dream of mine, and this is something that's really driving me. So they're they're really pushing behind me on this one. Very nice. It's important to be able to find something too, unless you're willing to move too. There's certain centers as well where you see a lot of game design and game companies as well. Case in point, if I were able to go into this, right in Montreal, we've got some huge companies that are doing game design as well too. I don't know how much is going on in Buffalo or if you're just planning on moving. Uh, Buffalo, there's a lot of companies that are that are just starting little startups, a lot of little uh, game design firms that are that are kids that are graduating from college and starting their own systems. Uh, the major thing, though, and I'm sure you've heard about this, is actually in Toronto. Uh, Toronto is is trying to pull in game design companies like Bethesda Studios to get them to put an office up there. And Toronto's an hour and a half drive from where I am, yeah. literally right across the border. So. If they did that, and if that does succeed, I wouldn't have to go very far, but I am willing to move anywhere I need to to get this done. Well, the thing, too, is that with PSN opening up, Xbox 
live opening up and now with the app store with the iTouch and the iPhone the iPhone you are able to find a lot more development companies now that are in the early stages I mean yeah it's all well and good to want to work for the big boys who are making phenomenal games but you're actually getting a lot of good quality games from the smaller companies now as well that are taking chances that a lot of the bigger boys won't because they've got nothing to lose essentially Exactly. Exactly. A lot of those smaller firms are, are creating uh, games that you never would have thought of, uh, things that they didn't think would sell on the big scale. But like the App Store, like you just pointed out, I know a bunch of people that are developing games for the iPod uh, and iPod or the iPhone and the iPod Touch that are they're starting to go in all these different directions that you don't really see, like games that involve like true physics, things like that. It's 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 exciting. It's really, really exciting. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, moving on from there, just so everybody knows, this is not going to be just a two-man show. We actually have a third chair as well. Our third chair comes courtesy of Mr. Spooner, who runs Spooncraft.com. Now, if you are anybody who follows especially lore, but again, more insight, more into a game than just what's on the surface, then Spooncraft.com is actually a very good resource. It is actually a place that I was checking out, not just because I know Enrique, but also I was checking out because the information for Aeon, which is becoming one of my new loves, is quite in-depth there, and I've really been enjoying just that one stop that I can stop and get all the information from there. So we have Enrique here who's going to be joining us as well, who's been blogging for several years, making enough money at it and been successful enough to be able to send himself to BlizzCon two years in a row. And you just came back not that long ago, right, Enrique? That's right. And how was it this year? Um, You know, this year it was bigger. I, I don't even know how to begin going about last year was a little bit overwhelming because it was my first gaming convention and um it was obviously my first blizzcon but this year was just i was floored by the amount of people that they had the lines were miraculously shorter than 2008 and they had something like double the amount of people there it was it's something amazing it really is to get to see as many people like us in just one big concentrated area it was very very cool i'm glad that i could uh I could take another person for free this year, like last time. But what did you find was most exciting about it, actually? Was it just the feel of being there, like when you're at a major league ball game and you're part of the crowd? Or was it the actual event that you found really cool to be at? Um, I think it was just, well, I don't know. You know, now that I think about it, it's... It's just the event. It really is. I mean, you want previews and trailers and to be the first one to listen to it. You can get that at home online. You can find that kind of stuff on the Internet. But it's like you mentioned, you know, you can watch baseball and watch, you know, the World Series games from your couch watching on TV. And that's a totally different experience, completely detached from actually going to the stadium. When you're there at something like BlizzCon or any other major gaming convention, when people you know, are just sitting in this big crowd and they announced, uh, wow, Cataclysm. I mean, it sounded like the just a gun was going off when they had the sound effects cranking while they'd made the big announcement and people were cheering. And it's just, it's, it's a world apart from being at home and seeing that sort of stuff online and then being actually at that event. So that, that's the pull for me. That's the draw. I mean, merchandising aside, that's, uh, that's the reason why I go. And you're obviously planning on going next year or the next one as well. Yes, I most certainly am. I mean, hopefully we can, but uh, 
if they're having it and finance is willing, I'll be able to take maybe two people next year. I don't know. Depends if they do it. That being said, too, when we're thinking about, okay, well, how much life does WoW have left? How many more? Well, yes, they'll always have BlizzCon because they have other products, but how much of an impact is WoW going to have on it? If we're looking at BlizzCon being in a couple of years from now, let's say, how much of an impact is WoW going to have at that BlizzCon versus, say, Diablo 3 and the StarCraft 2? Well, that depends on what they do because they're going to release um, the Diablo. Diablo 3 is going to be released in 2010. StarCraft 2 is going to be released in 2010. So those are going to be their big sellers now. Cataclysm, they're saying, is in 2010 as well. So they have these three big franchises. But one thing a lot of people are forgetting is that Blizzard has been hiring for their next generation MMO for something like three and a half years now. They've even started moving uh, last year a bunch of their high-profile staff onto this new franchise. Now, this is a universal franchise that has nothing to do with Warcraft or Starcraft or Diablo. This is a totally brand new IP. Yeah, which they were not even hinting about at this BlizzCon. Well, I'll chime in real quick on that front. uh, You are right. It's been about three and a half years. But it should also be noted that they announced that they were starting work on it at the time that Activision and Blizzard merged. Uh, Well, either way, buddy, if, uh, if they finish this all up by next year with these new titles that are coming out, then I'm pretty sure we're going to get a good new announcement. And then as far as how WoW's impact is going to be, maybe two years from now, it may just be kind of like in a legacy sense. We'll see. I mean, I don't know how much left there is in WoW. They've been running strong for half a decade now. I can only imagine they'll run for a couple more years. Well, the thing is, is that with Cataclysm coming out next year, then that is, they're hoping will at least breathe life into it for another year or so. I mean, we've got um, Guild Wars 2 coming out in what 2010 maybe late 2010 maybe i'm thinking yeah so fourth quarter i think that's going to put a lot of pressure on wow right then and there i mean aeon itself is going to be putting a certain amount of pressure and it's not like we can say wow killer anymore i don't think that term applies anymore when you're looking at how many subscribers they have you can't think that any one game is going to destroy wow but no. that being said, you can certainly make a dent in its subscriber base. And I think that Aeon has a potential to do that, especially considering how popular it is in Asia, which has a huge impact in the numbers for WoW. I mean, it's all well and good to say that WoW has 12 million subscribers, but how many of those millions are from Asia? If you can shift that over to an Aeon or something else, it will make a huge dent. Oh, most definitely. See, that, that's something else that I've noticed a lot of people use as the sole argument. People are saying, oh, it's a WoW killer. I hate the term WoW killer. But whenever anybody tries to be defensive of WoW, and they're trying to defend, oh, yeah, you know, World of Warcraft is the greatest because we have 14 million subscribers. I'm like, all right, well, that's fine. You got 14 million people eating, you know, dog shit. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a delicious treat. But I think that WoW is starting to kind of just show its age, and there's a lot of these next-gen competitors, the Star Wars MMO, uh, Aeon, uh, Champions Online even. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's on the horizon right now that's coming out. Well, between the Star Wars and the Star Treks coming out as well, that's also going to take a huge chunk out of the, the, the player base for WoW. I mean, Aeon was only third on that list right behind Star Wars and Star Trek. And mm-hmm. I still feel that Aeon is actually going to draw a, a fairly large amount of people, although Star Wars should also do the same too when it finally does come out. Most definitely, most definitely. So when people are questioning what's going on with WoW, what's the lifespan left of it, you have to ask yourself, well, 
it's a wonderful franchise. It's a great game, but there's a lot of new stuff coming out that isn't five years old, that isn't using technology from 2004, you know? Yeah. Now we're going to get a little bit more. We're going to get into WoW and Aeon and other things a little bit more when we discuss the features. But going back to you personally, now you've been running Spooncraft for two years, or did you have another gaming blog before that? Uh, no, I've always people have been always referring to me as like a. They basically call me the Wikipedia because I'm just this big WoW geek that I know every quest and every lore bit and all that other stuff. And so, about two years ago uh, in January, my wife told me, "Why don't you start a blog?" So I went ahead and did that. And then February, uh, two years ago, I started up Spooncraft. I had maybe five visitors in the first two months, and after that, it just kind of exploded into this massive but not too massive website. Well, the thing is, is that I, I know that one of the things that I have a, a hard time with being that I, again, I am full-time job four kids, everything else is the time you're putting up a ton of content on a, a fairly regular basis. How are you finding the time? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I had a job and then it got <laughs> downsized. <laughs> So yeah, I was I was a provider and I had a the great job. The best gamers are unemployed <laughs> fucks is what it boils down to essentially. If you're a loser who can't hold a job, dude, you are a phenomenal blogger. That's what it boils Thank down you. to. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I do I juggle between, you know, working on the site and then when I'm not working on the site, I'm usually taking care of my daughters and when I'm not doing that, I'm trying to sleep and, you know, make my wife not divorce me. Good plan. Good plan. Hopefully, not necessarily in that order. Yeah, yeah, most definitely not in that order. I mean, it's something to take priority. All right, with that, we're going to go right into the breaking news to see what's been going on over the past weekend. So, Enrique, take it away. Um, there really wasn't much going on this weekend except for the Ion uh, open beta. But as far as breaking news, uh, let's see here on the Warcraft front. Um, Upper Deck announced their new loot cards for the trading card game. I know a lot of people are kind of freaking out over that. It's um, basically we're looking at these new tiny mounts of the super common cards. You guys are going to be seeing those a lot on eBay now. You're going to be seeing them a lot in game. Just somebody riding a very tiny mount. Uh, Tuscar Kites and then the Spectral Kitten Cub. And I don't know what the deal is with mini pets, but people kill and then bathe in blood to get these damn mini pets. So... Well, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I'm one of those people. I Not on all of my (laughs) tunes, but you know, the the thing with Warcraft, which I've said quite a few times on WoW Dogs, is that I find that when there is, when you get bored with the endgame content, there's always something else to do, basically, whether it's collecting mounts or collecting mini pets. And for quite a while, I was working on the collecting the mini pets, and I still do periodically on my other pets. So when I saw this spectral cat or kitten, it was like, oh my fucking God, dude, somebody send me that card I wanted. Now, see, I had that reaction with the next little news bit is um, MMOChampion.com. They're the the big data miners, right? These are the folks that they just they dig into the files and they find the most obscure crap. Uh, they found the Pandaren monk. Now, anybody who plays WoW has been pretty much just losing themselves over Pandarens, either hating the prospect of them being a playable race or just dying to have them as a playable race. They finally made it into the game in a real sense in that it's a new mini pet that's a, a Pandaren monk, and it finally got animations. And wanted, there's a video for that on YouTube, uh, one on my site, one on MMO Champion as well. And uh, I, I think it's pretty it. cool. 
I yeah. want it. The the thing with the the Pandaren race too is that it's funny to hear the people argue about it and say whether or not they feel it's justified as a race or not. I mean, you're you're playing a goddamn cow, or you're playing you know a, a gnome or a soon to be goblin. What's the difference between paying, playing a panda and a cow? There's none. The only reason that they're having such a problem with the cow, uh, the Pandaren, is because of the Chinese player base. And heaven forbid they upset the Chinese player base, which is a fairly large percentage of their chunk of change that they get every month. You know, that's just a myth, though. I mean, hands down, that, that's, that's one of the biggest arguments that people say, oh, it can never be a race because it violates some kind of Chinese law or it's um, an offensive ethical thing. Um, there's a game, I don't know if you may have heard of it, it's called Perfect World. All right. Yeah. Uh, in the game Perfect World, you play as nothing but beast people or some kind of elf person or whatnot. You can play as a panda. You can. You, there are panda players, and they're blue, you know, brutally murdered in PvP panda players. So, and that, I think that game originated, if not in Korea, then in China. You know, I, I think it's like a, a, a Taiwanese game. I mean, I'm not exactly sure, but I, I don't know. The whole thing with Pandarans, people say that it doesn't fit, and I got to ask you, just like you said, well, we're going to play wargans, we're going to be giant furry dogs, and then we're going to be goblins, and we're playing as cows, and orcs and i mean come on really you, you can't play as a pen as a panda as a pandaren well, i don't know I, I don't buy it see to be using that argument though to say that yes this other game does have pandas and it originated in china whether or not it did i honestly i don't know the fact is is that you can look at a game like that and it may not have the resources to be able to justify not doing it whereas blizzard can look at numbers because let's be very honest Blizzard right now is very much about looking at the numbers, looking at how much yes. money they can make for every micro and they ain't micro transaction that they can make, whether it's a faction change or reputation change or a uh, sorry transfer or whatever. So they're looking at the gross numbers and their marketing people have their calculators out and are going tap tap tap. No, I don't think it would be wise to have a Pandaren race because you're going to alienate, you know, eight billion of your player base so it makes more sense in something like that than some obscure game that it wasn't you know an obscure game that sold only several thousand versus wow is not a, a justified argument in my opinion i don't know what do you think joe honestly um they i, I don't really see that it's a, a matter of alienating a player base i don't think they're really concerned about it um i think their main concern is what they're going to do with these they've been talking about it since the game ever came out you know are we going to put van darren's in what's going to happen with it players have been screaming or foaming at the mouth for it for so long i think it's a matter of what they're going to do with it now we've already started to see that with the, the little mini pet sure but are they going to put them in as a npc base are we ever going to see them as a player class um, I don't know if you guys remember way back when there was a leaked list of planned expansions and races. And uh, on that list of races that were to be playable, um, Worgen were on that list. Goblins were on that list. Pandarans were on that list. So I don't know if they're still considering it and just waiting for like maybe when sales start to climb and say, oh, look, here you go. Play Pandarans, give us money. Well, um, yeah, if you're looking in terms of, again, with everything that they're doing, we're seeing them trying to hold on to whatever player base they have because the game is quite old. I mean, they're going to be five years old in November. So they're doing things like the complete redesign of old Azeroth to allow you to fly and everything else so that they can retain their player base and change things. So if you're looking at, again, 
a year, two years down the line where they're feeling the heat of a seven-year-old game engine and now they introduce a Pandarans, that's a, that's a expansion seller right there. Exactly. Yeah, that's a very good selling point. You know, the, the well, you mentioned originally, I just want to track back one second. Um, as far as the whole ethics thing with China, I, where that originated from wasn't so much that Blizzard wanted to put a Pandaren race or even created one. Is that the their lead art director, Sam uh, Sam DDA, Samwise, he's the guy who created it kind of as an homage, as a joke, you know, for his family members because that's his nickname is this big panda guy. The problem was is that he took a panda, which is just the national Chinese, you know, animal, basically. I mean, they, they lay claim to the panda, but he dressed them up in Japanese you know, samurai armor. So they looked at this, especially with the history between Japan and China, all the war atrocities, as really, really disrespectful, really taboo. That's where the whole, you know, stink came from. Hmm. Okay. Very interesting. Let's move on with the breaking news, though. What else you got for this week? Um, Just got two more things for you. One, um, apparently now every single last challenge, every single achievement for the Tier 9 rating, the... Uh, the trial of the Crusader, trial of the champion, that whole bit with um, the Crusader's Colosseum has been defeated. Everything has been done. Everything that could be done has been done uh, by the big mega guilds. And so that's it. All the world first has been accomplished. Basically, that's always a man. Like it, we're, we're always looking now at a matter of hours, even not days of when the big boys get everything done. There's not much new there. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'm, I've been playing the game since beta, so it's a little bit shocking to me to see, you know, we just released the new content, and then literally four hours later, hey, we've just beaten the new content. What yeah. now? This, so. The same thing happened, though, when they with each expansion. With these, each mm-hmm. expansion, it was done in days. Yeah, it went from months to... It just skipped the whole week. It went from months to days down to virtually hours now every time that they've released a new boss or this Trial of the Crusader bit, whenever a Tuesday patch came out, a couple hours after the servers came online, bam, you know, somebody had downed them. Yeah, but a lot of that has to do with how they've been simplifying the game so much that the people who are actually hardcore gamers are finding it that much easier to get those first firsts of everything. Well, I don't know if I would agree with that, honestly, because I don't think it's an oversimplification of the game that's that's resulting in this. I mean, these are the people that are pouring hours and hours and hours and hours into it. As you said, the, the people that are unemployed make the best bloggers. Uh, people who don't really have a lot of responsibility make the best raiders. These are the people that can sit there and raid for 13, 14 hours a day. And so, yeah, sure, a, a group of, of highly skilled people or a group of people that are used to working together or people that just have the gear and the time to push the content – Absolutely, they can push through it. Um, I, I don't think it's just. A, I don't think it's just a matter of the oversimplification of the game. But you don't think that has an impact? I, I don't. I honestly don't. Because where, where is the game being really simplified? If anything, they're they're going to be trying to simplify it coming up because the game's gotten too complicated as far as balancing stats and gear. Um, as far as mechanics in the game, they've introduced a whole bunch of new stuff. Sure, um, and, and sort of. I wouldn't say simplification, but in order to to gap the disparity between players being able to view the content, you have your normal modes and then you have your hard modes. Hard modes are always going to be for the people that can put the time into it. And, and having experienced some of these hard mode encounters, it literally is just being able to push and push and push. So I don't know. I don't know if I feel comfortable with just saying it's a, a complete result of simplification of the game. Okay, but let's um, just take that for a second and look at this now. 
when you're looking at the constant nerfs that they do to the the end game instances, wherein they're nerfing, say, Alduar to all hell to make it a lot easier, well, that then means that your your guild, which is progressing, can get its gear a lot faster. Which then means that as new content comes out, they're then able to complete that content a lot faster. Wouldn't you agree with that? I do agree with that statement, but at the same point they usually don't start nerfing the content until after all these achievements have already started to be obtained. So that kind of doesn't really okay, validate but, the point, you know what I mean? No, no, but hold on a second now. Let's just let's just look at this. Okay, instance A comes out. It's not nerfed. It's hard. Okay, Guild is working towards finishing that content. Instance B has not yet been released. Instance A, after... Pff, I mean, we can give them, what, three weeks they've been nerfing content, if that. Three weeks later, content is being nerfed on instance A. So Guild is able to then progress much faster through that instance and get their gear so that once instance B is released, they've got the gear that they would not otherwise have been able to all get and then be able to progress through instance B that much faster. You get where I'm coming from? Yeah, no, I understand that. I mean, that is that is a fair point. I, I can agree with that. Yeah. So I would say it's not um just to throw this in. I wouldn't say so much as a simplification of the game itself, but what they're doing is that because Blizzard wants everybody to become viable, and I've in 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 Roger's podcast and Wild Dogs podcast, he, I know you went into this in great detail a while ago, but. Basically, everybody wants to have their cake and eat it too. Everybody wants to spec however they want to spec and play and be successful, which just in reality doesn't necessarily work. However, Blizzard has tried and doing backflips to make this work. So in the process of them doing that, uh, they have these big glaring oversights. And I don't know. I think that's where a lot of people are starting to get you know, the misconception and uh, that their class suddenly works and then they have the nerfs and that whole thing with the with the balancing act that Blizzard keeps trying to play. I think that they did a good job with this tier 9 content making it, you know, small and easy because the normal mode is just you could face roll it. it. It takes very little skill to get the normal mode down. That's why they've actually buffed the normal mode in difficulty even if they've nerfed the crap out of Ulduar. But the hard modes, the heroic version of this new tier 9 rating thing um is just crippling. It's like soul cripplingly difficult according to people. And the only folks to have down it really are like the professional gamers, you know, the folks that are out there getting paid, getting legitimate paychecks and payroll to play World of Warcraft. Okay. Did you have one more thing in the breaking news? Um, yes, but I think I can just have it wait until uh, we get into Ion or Aeon speak because it's predominantly about that. It just has to do that. Um, Ion's release date is about two weeks away on the 22nd, and then the uh, head start is two days prior to that, and the pre-select where you can actually select your server and get your character's name and all that done should be coming out very, very soon. They're working on getting some more press releases on that uh, today, actually. Well, actually, we're going to be getting into the regular news now, which is going to encompass the news for the past week, which is we're going to start with Aeon, because frankly, Aeon right now is the biggest news we got going on, because it is something completely new and completely fresh. We've been having some some interesting times with the Aeon open beta. However, that being said, there's also been a lot of things implemented that are 
really balancing the game out fairly well. Now, the game was in open beta for the period of the Sunday from, yeah, Sunday to Sunday, was it not? Yes, I believe so. Um, yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah, you're right. Because right. they extended it a little bit because they instituted a patch at the last minute. Yeah. Which kind of ticked the hell out of you. Um, it it kind of ticked the hell out of me because of all the problems that they had. I'm sure you'll, you'll hit in the news now, but they were having unprecedented amount of issues with keeping the servers online, letting people log on and having somewhere around the, you know, 8,000 latency kind of you know, issue there for a while. But, uh, so, you know, they gave at least me personally, you know, if I didn't have the flu, then I would have had maybe four to five days worth of legitimate solid game time that I could play the open beta and do what I wanted to do on it. And whatever was left was just pretty much just trashed. It was spent, you know, waiting for them to tell me it's okay to log back in again. And then finally they get it all working and hi, you guys got to log off for about six hours now because we're going to patch you. Well, the thing to expect, too, when you are going into beta is that the fact that it is still a beta. So there's there's going to be downtime. There's going to be you. You have to expect when you're playing that there's going to be issues one and two. They're going to be working on said issues so that it's that much cleaner when the game actually releases on the 22nd. So I went into the game fully expecting that. Now, that being said, I, I put in quite a number of hours but it wasn't really split across that many days, but still I put in a number of hours. Uh, case in point, on Friday of last week, I was actually home, I had a sick day, and I played all day. Now, I had characters on two realms, so when one went down for maintenance or whatever it, whatever it was that they were doing, I just bounced on to the other one and then bounced back again from there. So I didn't experience too much problems in terms of being bounced around and whatnot. I did, however, have problems with Game Guard, and I had problems with oh, yeah. um, being able to log in at one point. After the patch came out, the, uh, that was on what? Saturday? Was that on Sunday that the patch came out? It came uh, out on Sunday, the right? Patch, no, the patch was on Saturday, I believe. Okay, so I patched on... It's either Saturday night or Sunday morning. From that point on, I couldn't log on. So I had to literally be deleting files for preferences on C drive and this and that to be able to finally be able to log on. It was a mess. There was a huge thread on the forums about that where people, after the patch, just couldn't even log on. Yeah, it was it was pretty messy. I mean, I, I think it had to do a lot with uh, they moved the servers over to the east coast they did like this massive move from one data center to the other to attempt to kind of like lighten up the load when it came to latency and that was i i don't know the specifics of it they haven't announced any specifics they just said that you know we had a problem and we're fixing it and then they fixed it but it was it made the game kind of unplayable and then they did something particular with game guard that killed everybody the reason i had such a big problem with it was because when I played the closed beta, I went through about four of the closed beta events, and I never once had a single solitary error or problem or issue and very little lag. I'm talking about maybe five minutes of lag right as the server came up when everybody was bombarding it. Afterwards, smooth sailing. Now that they've had closed beta for about a year of just doing these weekends and these trial events and whatnot and having the game live for a little over a year already in Korea, this is like live retail. 
and then suddenly they do an open beta and have these major major problems that that kind of like sucker punched me just a little bit well i was a little surprised when you do look at the fact that they've had this game running one would assume smoothly for a year in korea and then i mean it's been relatively bump free it's it's had some hiccups for sure but i mean if you played in the beta for a while holy fucking hell that was unbearable at times i would hazard to say that the beta for a while was much worse than the beta for aeon has been i don't know if you agree with that but that's how i feel I agree with that. I mean, I remember in the Burning Crusade beta, the original WoW beta, and then in especially in Wrath beta, uh, the game was unplayable. I mean, unplayable for days, uh, weeks at a time, depending on, on what the problem was at that particular period. Yeah. So taking that into consideration, I'm willing to give them some leeway. Although I'm still surprised that they have that many issues when they have such a huge player base, presumably in Korea right now. That being said, I'm also surprised. I, I don't know whether or not they're using GameGuard in Korea or if that's just something that we're seeing here now. I'm pretty sure they're using GameGuard over there. I, I don't know. Maybe it's a, a localization issue with the different version of, of Windows Vista or Windows that they have, the different operating systems they have over there. But I'm pretty sure they're using GameGuard. I mean, NCSoft, the company that has developed Ion, uses GameGuard for pretty much all of their titles, user for the City of Heroes and for Lineage 1 and 2 and so on and so forth. Uh, I've never really heard of a problem. I mean, I never even heard of GameGuard until I started this whole, you know, Ion Aeon thing. Yeah, well, same here, actually. And, like, it's it's a double-edged sword. You you have this this app that's causing an issue with your gameplay and yet if you don't have it then you are going to have the hackers on which is then going to cause an issue with your gameplay exactly so i mean you, you it's just like that you're, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't i would like for them to use a different program personally because i don't like game guard specifically what game guard is it's just a brand name for a rootkit it launches from the kernel within your operating system and that's how it works there's no way to monitor it there's no way to get around it you don't really know what it's being used for and apparently people still according to google anyway have a way to hack around game guard i i don't personally like anything that installs you know a freaking root kit on my computer considering the history i've had with my computer so yeah that's no. me yeah no agreed but then again i see you got to put a certain amount of trust trust in a company that they're not going to do something that is completely that's going to ruin your system obviously because they're making money off of you um but that being said like i don't want to go to the days of d2 where it was no oh. sense playing the game because the hackers had ruined it for everybody else i mean wow's found a way around that within reason but it's it's hard for other games to find a way around that to be able to control the hackers so that everybody else can can, can enjoy the game yeah, I remember the days in D2 where people would just be duping or botting or whatnot. Yeah, the, what what happened in Diablo 2 was pretty much a no-man's land. I don't ever want to see that happen in, a, in any game. And I don't think that in this day and age, if a company spends that many resources on a brand new game, that they're going to allow someone. So sometimes I mean sign a deal with the devil so that, and devil being game guard, so that you then have a certain amount of control over your game. Now, something yeah. else that uh, Aeon introduced for the beta. Now, there was no news that I heard that they were going to be implementing this 
once the game goes live but at the moment well not at the moment anymore but while during the beta they were doing faction balancing on the realm so that if one one faction was too high you couldn't create a new character as that yeah that was very cool that was actually something that a lot of people found frustrating i bumped into it um originally and i was kind of frustrated by it but i whatever i went off to just a different server and started up there but um, that's something I would love for other MMOs to to pick up on. They did not have it in the closed beta. They did have it here in the open beta, and I love it because one of the biggest problems that the World of Warcraft suffers from now, I mean, they have this huge player base, and they have hundreds of servers that are almost hard to keep track of, but some of them are just completely and utterly imbalanced as far as which faction is is higher up than the other. With, with Aeon, this whole faction balancing, like you mentioned, if there were too many of one faction already created, then anybody coming to that server would get a message saying, well, you can no longer create you know, the Asmodians. You can only create Elios on this server because the Asmodians are already capped. Once that scale balances out a little bit more, then it'll reopen again to, 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 to create more of the, of the big faction, of the overpopulated faction. And the thing is, too, that... This game especially, faction choices, faction balancing has a huge impact. It's not like, Mm -hmm. wow, where you can avoid each other as much. This one here, the game world is much smaller than WoW, so it does have a huge impact. Yeah, most definitely. And this game itself, I mean, the whole... I don't want to say core of the game, but well, yeah, you know, the whole core of the story of this game, the whole lore of this universe is, you know, you're on this world and you are basically fighting a holy war. You know, you're fighting a holy war with a different faction of your same species, of your same, you know, fellow man, and you are both on separate parts of the world and you're fighting for the world. You're fighting for the holy land. That's what this is. So it's extremely, you know, geared on your country your your nation your everything your people versus their people there's no neutral cities there's no interaction there's no communicating whatsoever between the two factions it's pretty much as if you know for those who you know are, are unfamiliar and just need to be explained in wild terms it's as if you are an alliance they're horde and you are just brutal enemies that must not ever deal with each other whatsoever unless you're killing each other that's that's how this game works that's how ion works well see that's something that blizz did when it first started wow where the factions actually meant something you either hated the horde or you loved or you hated the alliance if you chose a faction you were devout to it and it got to be something where you absolutely detested the other faction especially if you played on a pvp realm now that's something we're going to cover a little bit later when we actually delve a little bit more into again the game mechanics of games and whatnot this is just being the news we're just going to brush on it but aeon is covering that right now they're doing what blizz did initially where it's that deep and utter hatred of that opposing faction so they're gonna hopefully keep working that throughout well yeah with the whole cataclysm uh announcement I mean, you remember, obviously, you remember when they announced Cataclysm, they were saying that, oh, it's going to be more warlike and one now we're going to bring the war back to Warcraft. That's something that I think they've realized a lot of their player base wants is not a PvP first game like uh, Samodian has just mentioned in, in the chat, in the live chat. Uh, WoW is not a PvP first game. It's a PvE game 
with a lot of PvP elements and two warring factions within it, but you know, throughout the years, there's just no semblance anymore of faction pride. That's something that I've been talking about with the whole, now you can pay to get your transfer from one faction to the other, change your race, yada, yada, yada. Uh, creating both factions on a PvP server, so there is no real separation between Horde and Alliance now. That's something that I'm hoping they'll bring back in a very big way, because that's what I fell in love with with Warcraft 2. That's what I fell in love with Warcraft 3, and what a lot of people wanted when they started playing WoW, is they wanted to have that war. Yeah, no, we'll cover a little bit of that later, because yeah, I got lots to say about that. Anybody who's been listening to the last couple of WoW Dogs has seen that. Um, so back to Aeon, the uh, the list of the servers that will be at launch has been released. So if you haven't seen that yet, go to Aeon Online and they have the server list there. We're actually going to try to set up some tunes on, what is it, Zykel, Zyrel? The Zykel server, it's yes. It's a Z-I-K. Yeah. That's where we're going. <laughs> so if you want to play with us, we're going to be messing around on that realm. Speaking of NCSoft, it's very interesting to note that the MMO that they were working on that was going to be released on the PS3 that they talked about actually quite a while back, they've now scrapped. I don't know how, I don't know if you were following that, uh, Joe. Like, I don't know how you feel about MMOs on consoles. Well, to be perfectly honest, a console at this point, if you look at the PS3 and the Xbox and uh, what we can presume will be the next generation of consoles, they're nothing but PCs anyway. Exactly. Um, they they run off of operating systems. They have hard drives. You can install the games right off of them. And uh, I don't see a point in keeping a gap there. I personally am for MMOs being both on PCs and, and, and Macs or, and uh, the consoles. Um, one of my favorite games of all time actually did bridge that gap. And I don't know if you remember it, but Fantasy Star Online, as cheesy as it was, uh, definitely fit into the MMO category. But you could play it online through the Dreamcast, through the GameCube, and later on through the PC. And all of them were allowed to interact on the same servers. And it worked pretty well until the game just kind of lost its interest from its player base. But I'm f- totally for it. I really, really, really think that they should do it. Well, and, uh, the thing, too, is that, see, I'm looking at the chat room again. In terms of the console, in terms of being able to have the same accessibility as you have on a PC, ha- the, the biggest hiccup, of course, has been the keyboard and mouse to be able to do that. Well, you can do that on the PS3. The yep. And in terms of being able to design a game that has the depth that you need for an MMO... I will be the first one to admit that, well, I mean, we didn't discuss it at the beginning of the show, but I I believe we each have one of each console, right? Uh, yes. I, um, I have a Wii. Okay. See, I have the PS3, I have the, the, the 360, I have a Wii, I have, oh, hell, I still have my Xbox Legacy, Xbox and PS2 <laughs> and Nintendo 64 hooked up. I got a PSP, I got a DS, we got three DSs in the house. Like, we got everything. And I know that you too, Joe, have quite a few in your house, right? Yeah, I have everything but the PS3, which will be remedied now that the Slim is available. Yeah, so basically... When you're looking at the architecture of the PS3, and I'm going to use PS3 versus the 360, simply because as much as I love my 360, 
even though it fucking died on me a couple of weeks ago, the PS3 architecture is much stronger. You can design an MMO around a PS3 quite easily. And with the Bluetooth um, that you can use with it, with keyboard and mouse, you can have the very same experience on your big ass TV screen that you do on your computer. I agree, and um, that's something that game companies have been working to to kind of work past for years and years, and you can see it when they were making uh, specific controllers that incorporated keyboards, uh, like for the GameCube back in the day, it was the GameCube controller on the outside of the keyboard, you actually held the keyboard in your hands with your controls on the left and right, but now you can just plug in a, a mouse and a keyboard to the PS3 and go right to town. The thing is, is that are they then going to have to get, design a game that relies on a keyboard mouse, whereas wherein, wherein they're, when they're selling it, they're going to have to be saying this game requires keyboard and mouse versus just a controller. That's a, a, a selling, well, that's going to alienate a lot of people right there. Potentially, but it's something that I think will, it'll be interesting to see from the outside how they come to that point. Um a lot of a lot of them were proposing just selling games with the with the necessary controllers already attached to it, but the higher price point is a problem. I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how they move around it. I think they will move around it. I think we will start seeing uh, MMO games available on the 360 and the, the PS3, with the as a matter of point, the next generation beyond that. Um, I think we are going to start seeing it, but I just think it's. I don't know exactly how they're going to work around that. I'm just going to be interested to sit by and watch how they do it. Yeah, no, definitely. Moving on from NCSoft news, then we have the the obviously wow news. Um, the three point two point three, sorry, two point three point two point two PTR patch notes came out. I don't know if you guys saw anything that really interests you. Um, not particular to be honest with you. I mean, except for the Anixia bit, which was my first ever real raid was Anixia. It was the first raid I ever tanked. It was the first raid I ever took part in, even even prior to Molten Core and whatnot. So that Anixia's coming back has me wanting to log on WoW just a little bit more so that way I can enjoy that legacy thing, and, and that'll be pretty much it. I agree, too. I think that was one of the, the one thing that really caught me about it was that Anixia was my first real raid as well. And uh, just the, the nostalgic feeling that it's dredging up and the, the fact that I want to get back in there and I want to see how this, uh, this flying bitch of a dragon deep breaths more now with us, um, it, it makes me want to, to see this come now. I don't want to wait for it. I want to see it live. And I think a lot of people are in that, that same mood. <laughs> but are you going to be satisfied with just a ramped up version of what we've already done or do you want something new? Honestly... I'd be I'd be okay with the, in this particular instance because it is a a one-off boss zone fight. Like you have a little bit of trash and then a boss. I'd be perfectly fine with it staying the same. It's a I fight would have I, to agree. Sorry. If yeah, that's it's quite all right. I think if it was something like um, you know what they did with like Nax, where they brought it back and revamped the thing, cool. But with Ani, ramp it up. Just give me the same type of fight, and I'll be more than happy. It takes me about a half an hour to kill her. You know whatever. It'll be a half hour of pure glee for me. Yeah, if I can jump in just one second here with that one. That's the key right there, what you said and what I said earlier is people can go it's it's the first thing we did. It's it's a legacy. It's something that we have attachment to, that we have an emotional memory attached to from 
you know, we did Anixia and that's all we had. All we had was Molten Core and Anixia for however long. So it's something that people just it it cues off positive memories in your mind when you think about it. You know, you think about uh, the the Anixia Flash, you know, wipe thing with the f- Swedish guy cursing and yelling at everybody. I mean, there's just a lot attached to Anixia <laughs> itself, right? You know, if they were to change it, it would be like somebody making a new Transformers movie that some, you know, folks don't really jive with. I'm going to have to insert the sound <laughs> clip here now so people know what the fuck you're talking about. More dots, more dots. <laughs> Many whelps, left side, handle it. Handle it. But <laughs> Menace 50 DKP. Whelps, left side. Even side, many whelps, now handle it! But the thing that I keep thinking is that, I, I'm okay, I agree with you guys with the nostalgia factor, where it's a, this is cool because I remember when. However, how long is that going to last us? Is this just throwing a bone to the dog saying here we've all we've done is added a couple of numbers to increase the difficulty level for what you guys already know versus, you know what, that 15 bucks you're paying per month, we actually spent it on game design to increase the, the, the complexity of the raid so that it's there's a lot more to it and not just the same old shit that you've already done and we just increase the levels. Well, I think that's why this is it's an event. And it's, it's a nostalgic event for an anniversary, which is why it works. And I think that you're, what you're saying about, you know, wanting us, us to see them take our money and put it to good use. Yeah, when, I'm look, when I went to the, the raid panels at BlizzCon and I was listening to, the, to them talk about how they designed it and, and just watching them get animated, really, really animated with the amount of work and effort they're putting into all the new stuff we have coming, I, they can, they can th- I can throw them this bone, give me my nostalgic raid for my one-off. Let it be that event for the anniversary, and I'm a happy camper, but then give me the new stuff afterwards, and I'll be more than happy to wait for it. Hmm. Likewise. Well, moving on for a while, one of the other big things that I noticed was that, and we're going to discuss this a little bit later on with the uh, faction changes in WoW. However, what's noticeable, notable is that with faction changes right now, the Argent Tournament rep is not transferring over. Now, for a lot of people, that Argent rep, or sorry, not Argent rep, that Argent Tournament rep is fairly important in getting gear and in getting certain things. <laughs> Okay, so we had a little problem, technical problem there. It has been resolved, hopefully. And so we're going to continue from there. We were talking about the faction rep for Argent Tournament and the fact that it's not transferring over. So basically, whatever you fuck said when we were not recording is gone. So I'm going to give you the chance to repeat what your opinions were on this. I guess that's Mikey, right? Because I've actually done the paid faction transfer a bit. Go ahead. That's all you, buddy. Um, long story short, I didn't think originally when they announced it that it was going to be a big deal. I thought, all right, you know, fuck it, whatever. It's, it's not important, you know, but, um, I did the transfer with one of my eighties who I had already completed the entire Argent tournament bit with. And now that I've, I picked them up today and I went over there and I realized, my God, 
what a fucking pain in the ass, if I can say that, to start over again. Because I forgot that everything is blocked off and, and mandated by daily quests. You can only proceed at a snail's pace. It's like the grind fest that everybody hates, but they've broken it down so that you're only allowed to grind, you know, once a day for something like 45 days because I did the math. That's how long it'll take for me to get back to where I was. It'll take me more than a month and a half to get to freaking, you know, to where I was before I did this transfer. I think that's bullshit. I think they need to they need to do something about that. Let's just think about this, really. They've been doing a whole bunch of transfer of factions wherein this horde equals this alliance. Here you've got a faction that is basically the same for each. How hard would it have been for them to be able to do this? No, it's completely retarded. It, it is retarded. I mean, it is the neutral faction. It's the Argent Dawn, the Argent Crusade. It's been around. The Argent Dawn itself has been like the neutral faction other than the goblins and whatnot since the beginning of World of Warcraft and you can't it's it's the exact same thing. They just have to change, you know, the original five factions that you're, you're getting exalted with. That's I I don't uh I, I don't I don't get it. Yeah, no, I don't either. We're gonna move on from WoW though and cover something a little bit different again. The Apple show was just this week, and it was the iPod event, and they covered a lot of news on iPod. And you may be thinking, what the fuck does that have to do with gaming? A lot iPod, well, I should say Apple has taken a very serious look at look at what gaming means to mobile consoles, mobile handheld consoles, and how much money is in that. The iPod touch and the iPhone right now are bringing in a lot of money through their apps, and the majority of the apps being sold are of course the games if you looked at if you watched the keynote event for the um, again the recent iPod event a lot of it had to do with games and how they're touting the iPod as a very very popular gaming console of choice beating out sales from both PSP and DS now the problem is that it's not inexpensive. The games are not as expensive as games on the PSP or the DS. However, the console itself, they're selling the 64 gigabyte version of the iPod Touch, the new one, for $399. Now, granted, yes, this is a good console. It has the OpenGL ES version 2 now that they've introduced so that it will have even better graphics. There are a lot of games that you can buy for actually quite cheap. I mean, a good game on uh, the iPod Touch or iPhone. I mean, a really good one. You're looking at twenty bucks. Good ones you can still get for ten bucks or less. So when you're factoring in price, I don't know how much that has to do with it. But that initial chunk of change, three ninety nine. I mean, fuck, the PS3 Slim is now selling for two ninety nine. Can you really justify? And it has more memory too sure it's not portable but still can you really justify a 399 price tag on that 64 gigabyte ipod touch um my opinion no uh, hell no are you out of your you know loving gourd no that's fucking ridiculous 400 dollars for a small 
handheld. I mean, yeah, okay, it's got a nice screen. Whoop de doo, but that's that's ridiculous, man. That's no, I, I would not I would not justify that. No matter what games you put on there, obviously something that small will not have the kind of power that a console or that a full fledged PC would. For a full fledged PC or a console, yeah, okay, I drop, you know, four hundred dollars to have an H D, you know, beautiful gaming experience. But for something that I have in my in the palm of my hand, uh, no, I, I don't think so. I'll have to pass on that. Joe, are you playing on a, an iPod or on an iPhone? I have an iPhone. Um, but at the same point, I'm looking at that price tag and, and looking at what you're getting for that 64 gigs for an iPod. I'm not a fan. I mean, I'm an Apple fanboy, too. I mean, anybody who knows me will tell you that. I, I mean, I, I drink from the font of Apple Kool-Aid. But, yeah, I can't see paying $400 for an iPod Touch. I mean, I understand it's a beautiful machine. I understand that they're adding features like FM tuning and, and, and stuff like that to it. But for $400, that's, yeah, I mean, I didn't even pay that much for my iPhone. Well, see, that's the thing, too. With those of us that are iPhone subscribers, we have iPhones, we're not going to spend that chunk of change on this iPod Touch. I mean, I have a, an old iPod Touch. It's the second generation one. It's a 16 gigabyte, and the wife is using it now. I don't have any use for it because I have the iPhone. So I still have my iPhone. Am I going to upgrade and get an iPod Touch as well? No, of course not. So you got to wonder where like how they're thinking their sales are where their sales are going to be coming from they have to assume that their sales are going to be for the majority new sales from new clients or people who have existing say eight gigabyte ipod touches who want to upgrade because most people who have an iphone won't want to be carrying both an iphone as well as an ipod touch i agree i think it's uh, i don't know i just think it's I don't know. I think it's a, they're going out on a branch, and I don't know if it's going to be able to hold the weight of what they're trying to get it to do. That being said, there are a lot of games that are coming out for the iPhone, well, iPhone and iPod Touch, that are games that are really pushing the boundaries in terms of what you can expect from mobile devices. Um, case in point, they announced the new Assassin's Creed as well, the sequel to um, the first one. This one's called Discovery, and I am quite looking forward to it. I did play the first one quite a bit. I kind of got stuck partway through, but I do enjoy it, and they have the capacity to do a lot of very good things with it. The only problem is the hardware. If you, again, are already an iPhone subscriber, you have a plan and whatnot you're not likely to upgrade so that's going to kind of hold them back so moving on from there that just being the news we're going to dip into the features a little bit more in depth in terms of gameplay and whatnot and we're going to touch on first aeon which we did touch on but let's kind of go a little bit deeper into it Ion was originally designed and developed in Seoul, Korea. That's where uh, the NCSoft headquarters is. The developers really took two approaches to it, two different angles. On the one hand, they wanted to take what was already successful in other MMOs, refine those um, details, and then on the other hand, they wanted to bring something new to the genre. And in doing so, they gave birth to Ion. <laughs> From what we've seen, it has basically 
shattered every record in Korea. It's been received really, really well, and the fans love this game. And so we're really excited to bring it over and introduce it to the West Territory. We, we really think that the players are going to love it. It's more of a polished game that people will enjoy in a beautiful setting that, uh, that you want to actually live in. It's been in, live in Korea for you know, almost a year now um, by the time that it launches in the West. And the West market will really benefit from that because it's had a year of balancing um, and updates that will be implemented. From the beginning, ION was designed for a global audience. ION adopted a global mindset not only in gameplay but also in other components of the game, such as its visuals, which were designed to embrace both East and West. It has a lot of those cool things in MMOs that bring players in and keep them there, um, but it adds all these new things too that we've never seen before. My favorite feature of ION is gliding. When playing an MMORPG, players inevitably spend a long time traveling around the world. Gliding gives characters a different movement option and another perspective to view the world. Flying also adds strategic components to PvP that I really like. If you are the number one ranked player in the Abyss, you have the ability to turn into a huge raid boss. And you're not actually a raid boss, but you will look like one. Your wings are huge, you're gigantic, and you can do a lot of damage and take a lot of damage. In order to make Ion a global game, we took out a lot of elements that were characteristics of Asian games. For example, Asian gamers usually prefer more cute and handsome characters. Asian heroes would never have like bulky looking heroes and swinging these axes. But a lot of those like uh, barriers are now starting to break down. Korean games have been uh, known as games that are grinders, that have, don't have that much story or quest. But uh, Ion has implemented so many stories, so many quests, and so many storytelling uh, strategies that it just it makes you just part of the game. This world is very much alive and it reacts to the things that players do in game. For example, if you are in the abyss and you are attacking a fortress, then that may or may not trigger the Balor to come in, the AI controlled faction. The Balor are more likely to attack the race that has more power. It's meant to create balance between the two opposing factions. So we have big event changes like that, and we also have smaller ones. The world will be gradually enlarged. Later on, it will expand to a region farther from the Tower of Eternity. We'll have space within the abyss that will be sort of a fourth dimension. There is constant debate and constant discussion about how the game should change and how it should develop. When ION launches in North America and Europe, we plan to include features that are only available on the test server in South Korea. Koreans actually love MMORPGs. I think they wouldn't be able to survive without MMORPGs. It's the challenge that's the fun part. It's not just leveling up, it's not just PvP, it's everything all together. And the game, even until you get the maximum level, there are so many things to do. It's a very challenging and very uh, extremely fun game. Aeon is an interesting game in that, yes, it has been running for quite a while right now. It's been running in Korea. And so they've had a chance to really lay down the groundwork for the game and be able to set it up wherein the launch should be quite seamless for North America and everywhere else as well. But what is interesting is what Aeon brings to the table in terms of 
a very different gameplay in terms of MMOs. Now, I've been playing through the closed betas, as has uh, Enrique, and it's interesting to see the turns and the twists that they took with gameplay and game design and the lore and everything else. Uh, what I did hear was that... And it was quite interesting to me that because, again, the game is mainly set up right now in Korea where they don't care as much about the lore and the gameplay. So they had to insert a lot of that into the game for North America. And yet I'm finding that it's fairly interesting overall for myself in terms of gameplay and lore and whatnot. I don't know how you've been finding it. Um. <sighs> As far as the game itself as a whole, especially with, with you know, the way that I've been, at least my history with, with playing MMOs, it's um, it's it's a fresh breath of air for me. I mean, I, I love the game. I've been finding that as much as I've been enjoying the... See, the game is set up wherein you're doing campaigns which are the quests that progress you through the game. And then you're also doing the regular quests that are the side quest kind of bullshit that could be anything and everything. So you're getting fairly intense quests in terms of the progression. And anyone who follows the lore of Aeon will know that it is fairly deep in terms of like the impact that you're having on this world, the, the impact that you're having with your faction and whatnot is fairly in-depth compared to wow i find because you're meant to feel yes. as though you personally are having an impact on the progress that your faction is making which is not something that you really feel with wow quite as much no that's I'm sorry i was being distracted horribly last time by by my dog but um with with ion that's exactly the the selling point of it aside from their massive attention to detail i mean like you've you've played it anybody who's played it or seen my videos or my screenshots on it they're just they all say the same thing this game looks beautiful but um as far as the questing wise and as far as the lore wise goes this is actually nothing like any other korean mmo that has ever come out and the developers of it have said that specifically we made this game to be a mix of western style mmos such as world of warcraft and such and eastern style mmos and the way that this game plays with progression wise is as far as the lore goes you are supposedly i mean you'll find out more in the higher levels from what i've you know tried to translate you're supposedly this 13th imperial lord or whatnot and you're you know you, you have a certain fate attached to your characters your destiny aside and the thing is that it's it's totally independent and yet it mixes in perfectly with the the overlying story arc of the game itself i mean you can play and this is your role as far as the lore goes but it does not affect the gameplay you know it doesn't it doesn't break that fourth wall with the gameplay it's still you can still tell that this is a game well see what i'm finding is that again with the major quests in terms of your ascension it's quite epic it's it's i mean i I damn near put it on par with, say, the Anixia chain of quests kind of thing. This is this is huge. But then the side quests, what I'm finding is that there's really a lot of crap. It's really not... The side quests are not really that 
that interesting, that engaging. What I'm finding is having leveled a couple of tunes through the 1 to 10 on the Asmodian side is, fuck, all they're concerned about is food. All they're concerned about is rations and food, which I can appreciate that, yeah, in wartime you're concerned about that. But, I mean, really, give me a break. Do I really care about having to go get another bag of freaking seeds and i'm finding there's too much of and and it seems ridiculous to say but i'm finding too many food quests where and i found some of that on the elio side as well when i was leveling my little uh, mage on that side where a lot of the quests are food quests go get this many of this food now, that the dynamics between that are still interesting. And I like the fact that you are gaining a decent amount of experience from questing. I mean, a really good amount of questing. I mean, hell, you get experience for gathering in this game versus WoW where you don't. To me, that's huge. It encourages yeah. you to gather and things like that. So they're making it so that you really want to get involved in the lower of the game by doing all of the quests, all of the gathering, everything that's involved because you're going to gain experience through it. But I don't feel that they gave enough attention to the side quests as opposed to the epic and nature main campaign quests. I kind of agree with you on that somewhat. I mean, I the campaign quest, which is the overlying story arc of the zone that you're in or, or whatever the case may be, you know, of your, of your class and so forth, that stuff you can tell they did an amazing job with. I mean, when you go there, they say you need to assassinate such and such because of this reason and that reason. I mean, it plays out very, very well. The regular quests, just the regular side quests that you're talking about, go fetch me 10 of those, kill eight of these. Some of them... Are a little bit like you mentioned they're just kind of like redundant and kind of crappy the higher level you get uh the more varied they become ultimately it's going to follow the same kind of criteria either kill this amount of this or gather you know either kill gather or locate whatever those are the kinds of quests you're running into but as you progress further on you'll notice that at least especially in um in the upper teens up into the 20s a lot of the quests just revolve around whatever's happening in that zone even the side quests have to do with that zone one thing about this game that i like a lot like you mentioned is the fact that experience is part of the the lore itself i mean i it's just part of the game it's really central to the game where in wow for example i can spam create a bunch of copper belts and blacksmithing and all I will need is just six copper bars and I have copper belts and I don't get any experience for it, whatever. In Ion, if I'm a weaponsmith and I'm crafting, or sorry, an armorsmith and I'm crafting like a plate gauntlet, it'll actually require me to have different sizes of, you know, plate chunks or whatnot and have, you know, refinement ores and this and that and you'll get experience for doing this. You know, I mean, you'll learn from practice you'll learn from actually doing something i i like that a lot oh yeah there again getting back to my point where it feels as if there's certain aspects of the game which were thoroughly thought out they really planned ahead and and i mean planned ahead that the game has been running live for a year in korea they've had a long time to get this settled but it's a different mentality there in terms of what they want from a game versus what we want from a game and what i want from a game is very deep rich lore questing from all of the quests and not just be fed 
side quests that are not nearly as interesting as the campaign quests. So to me, that was a little disappointing. Now, that being said, though, in terms of game mechanics, Aeon is doing a fantastic job in terms of doing things differently from the norm. And I'm not going to just compare to WoW. That would be the easy comparison. There's a lot of things that they're doing compared to all MMOs that is very interesting. I mean, case in point, your titles actually have an impact on your stats. So what title you choose has an impact on what your stats will be. So if you're going against in a in a, a group quest or a, a dungeon or whatever, what title you choose will have an impact on your performance. Yeah, and there's titles for pretty much everything, though. I mean, that's the one thing that I like about it. There's a lot of, you know, it's, it's exactly like, it's like some audience says in the chat. It makes you actually want to do those quest lines that are just mindlessly grinding. Aside from doing the quest and having fun with that and the rewards that the title that you receive for following this long quest chain is something that you'll use. And what's funny enough is that the the stats they give you coincide with what the quest was. If you have a quest that involves killing a whole bunch of soldiers and you know having this massive militant battle, then the title that you receive as a reward is going to be something that is going to help you to fight better. It's going to give you more health or more physical defense or something like that. I really dig on that. I think that's that's a very very good idea for them to do. Yeah, they're doing a lot of things right. Um, we just have to look as far as actual fighting in terms of, say, the chain abilities, which freaking are amazing. I, I love that. It's When you're playing WoW, you're spamming the same keys over and over and over again. That's not to speak down of WoW. WoW does a lot of things very well. However, the fact is, is that you can sit in a raid and hit three buttons. Let's be honest. This is kind of interesting because it has it, it adds a whole new dynamic in terms of the progression of your skills with those chain abilities. And I think it's fantastic. I agree. I mean, with WoW, yeah, you got the different kinds of rotations you can put in a one-night. And with other games as well. I mean, I remember playing Final Fantasy Online, Final Fantasy XI, and that you would have your rotation, basically. You would figure it out yourself, and you would have your skills, and that's that's all you would do. That was it. I mean, there was no playing. Otherwise, you'd be ineffective and laughed at. But with, with Ion, it's... They have – it's not the illusion of choice that you would have in, say, World of Warcraft and whatnot or other games. It's an actual choice. You really do have a choice when when you're fighting because once that chain skill comes up, you'll do one ability and it can combo into one of two possible paths, one of two possible abilities after that. And then that can also branch out to possibly more different you know, moves and so on and so forth. So it depends on how you want to take that fight. It's very, very dynamic. It's, it's not always going to be the same thing every single time, especially when you get much higher in level and you have this very wide range of different abilities. Well, the thing too is that you are seeing a different playstyle for classes, wherein you're looking at a healer that wears leather. Yeah, you've only got four main, you've only got four classes start to start off with, which then branches out into eight. But I'm finding a huge difference in the classes and in the playstyle, wherein there's a lot more effectiveness. 
per class, depending on what you're doing versus wow. I'm finding that with wow, you're finding that again, certain classes and very specifically certain specs of classes are all that's required whereas i was fooling around now granted i will be the first to admit i didn't progress past 11 on any tune which is nothing i mean in in all honesty not much but it it's still a good introduction to your class and i'm finding that the classes are way way different in aeon wherein each class appears to have a lot of merit in different ways as opposed to wow like i can easily see myself leveling to max as a cleric and actually enjoying it versus leveling as a holy priest in wow well yeah in wow you have to understand everybody every single class in the world of warcraft can dps the roles have been homogenized and have kind of pretty much been watered down to the point where now you have four different people that can tank. Everybody can DPS, and I believe four different people can heal. When yes. it comes to Ion, yeah. So, so when it comes to Ion, it's you have you're either going to be a Templar, which is you're a tank. Um, that's it. Okay, you can DPS somewhat to save your ass and whatnot, but ultimately you're a tank. That's what you do. Nobody will do it better than you. A cleric, you're the healer. Period. No other class has heals except for a cleric or a chanter, which is the other option a priest can take. But a chanter's heals will be nothing as powerful, not even remotely as powerful as the cleric's will. However, the cleric will not have the kind of buffs that the chanter does. They're very specialized and they make it simple. They, they make it acceptable to have such strong specialization. So if you're going to play something and, you know, I want to play a ranged DPS or whatnot, then they're going to give you a class that will do that amazingly. You know, you don't have to deal with, you know, 12 other different classes that can kind of do it, but you need the right gear or the right spec or whatever it is. They just want you to get to the chase. Yeah, and they do that in a lot of different ways where they're making it a very clear path where if you want to do this, this is the path that you follow. Whereas again with WoW is if you want to do this, well, you can hit that same target from a lot of different areas. Whether it's a case in point healer, you can go from a priest or a resto druid or shaman or paladin kind of thing. Whereas in Aeon, it's much more a you need a healer for this group you need a cleric it's that simple yeah and um to actually answer dane law there you can solo as a tank you can solo as a healer okay you won't kill anything as fast as dps you're not going to break any you know leveling records obviously because that's just you're not there to dps it's not what your role is however they don't completely castrate you they, they don't tie your hands and handicap you because you happen to be a tank or a healer which They're is huge give you the tools to move which yes, is that's, that's awesome huge because that's one of the things as a healer say because my favorite class has always been to, to be a healer in any game that I do I actually enjoy that so as a healer in WoW I have been bitch slapped and bent over so many times that I cannot count it whereas here I'm playing a healer and I'm actually enjoying it so I'm playing a cleric and I'm thinking you know what no I'm not killing quite as fast but I'm still having a lot of fun and what I'm finding is that 
playing a, say, priest versus a mage in those early levels, there's pros and cons from both. Whereas the mage, yes, is killing faster, but anything comes close to them, they're dead, and their mana is absolutely ridiculous. Whereas <laughs> as a, a, a priest... I I there I could never get rid of all of my mana and I ended every fight full health. So there's a lot more pros versus cons that you get in WoW. Now some may argue that that's a matter of complexity and WoW makes it more com complex than Aeon. I'd argue that what Aeon does is make it a lot more fun to play the classes that are actually much more required in the game such as your tank and your main heals. Yeah, it's like you look in WoW, nobody levels, no self-respecting, non-masochistic person will level their paladin as holy. It's just plain and simple. Even in BlizzCon, one thing that I laughed I laughed pretty hard at was one of the jokes that they said on stage that the developers Ghostcaller and those other folks said was, yeah, except for holy paladins, you know, we're not going to introduce spell plate or spell chain or one of the lower levels for holy paladins because we don't expect holy paladins to exist beside, you know, the end game. Because nobody wants to level as holy. But what if, you know, what if you want to play? That's your role. What if you're role playing? What if that in particular is something that you enjoy doing like you? You enjoy to heal. So you want to have the tools to be able to level and have fun in the game and actually, you know, continue playing as a healer. You don't want to suddenly have to change gears and say, okay, well, everybody from levels one till just below the cap are going to be DPS because the only time you're going to need a healer or a tank is at the end game. That's that that's ridiculous to me. With WoW, the payoff is at the end game. With Ion, to me personally, the payoff is throughout the entire ordeal, up until the end game as well. Yeah. No, I'm very much looking forward to it taking my characters past the level that I have taken them. Of course, in the betas, I'm not as concerned with what I'm leveling and how I'm leveling. It's more about trying everything out to make sure that I've got the right choices in terms of once the game comes out I want to make sure that I'm choosing what is right for me and progressing those instead of wasting my time with a ton of alts which is normally what I do and what I found is that the game is designed in such a way to encourage you to play everything that I'm actually going to enjoy playing a Templar and a Cleric versus playing a you know protection warrior and resto druid or or, or or priest in wow i'm actually going to be enjoying this they've done a really good job in terms of their the the game itself they did such a good job with the the ui which pulls a lot from guild wars a lot of the things that i love about the ui and guild wars they pulled in that you don't see in wow unless you're using mods it's it's very well designed and i enjoy the the, the look of the game and how certain things happen you don't have to worry about campaign quests and having to find everything they find you the quest comes up when you reach a certain level and there's a lot of things about aeon that is they took that step beyond what mmos are at the moment to show you what they can be and they what they can be for the next couple of years Yep, most definitely. That's that's what they did. They took something that was working. They listened to what people necessarily wanted in the game and things that they did not like about existing games and in, in the genre itself. And they 
just they implemented it. They said, all right, well, it's we think it's kind of a pain in the butt to constantly hunting down, trying to find where every quest is. So all the quests that have to do primarily with the lore, that the ones that are important that you do complete, we're just going to give it to you. So when you hit level 20, you're going to instantly get a quest to follow this long chain to get your stigma stuff done, which is like their version of talent points. It's, you know, customizable spells you can you can equip on your character, customizable abilities and whatnot. That's something that is just automatically given to you. WoW is starting to do that somewhat where as soon as you hit a certain level now, at least with all the recent changes they made, you'll get an in-game mail that'll tell you, oh, now you're such and such. Go here or come see me. I have something for you, whatever. Yeah, no, there's a lot that there's a lot that they learned from other MMOs, and there is, of course, a lot that other MMOs, most notably, of course, WoW, can learn from them. You can't think for one moment that WoW is so full of themselves that they aren't watching other MMOs to see and to learn from them. That being said, of course, one of the other big MMOs that's out right now that's just been released to everyone is Champions Online. So we're finally going to get to hear back from Joe again if he's still there unless he fell asleep. And <laughs> I'm still here. I'm still here. I, I assume maybe there was a possibility of a little nap time there because I know you haven't been playing Aeon, but you have been playing Champions Online. So let's hear what you have to say about that. Okay, well, Champions Online, for many of you that, that might not know, is the latest endeavor from Cryptic Studios. Um, this is the latest jaunt into the superhero MMO genre. Um, Cryptic Studios is also the company that made the first or primary, I guess you would say, definitive superhero MMO, City of Heroes. Um, personally, I feel that it's going to be impossible to talk about Champions Online without talking a little bit about City of Heroes, so I'm probably going to overlap a little bit. You guys are going to have to bear with me. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about with uh, Champions Online is the visuals of the game. Uh, the game itself is absolutely beautiful. It uses a stylized version of cell shading, very, very similar to the game 13 for the GameCube. If anybody's familiar with it, it's it's kind of awesome. It's very cartoony, but very dynamic. Uh, and this goes down to all the way to the 1960s Batman-style kablows that pop up on the screen from time to time. The entire game is vibrant and rich, and it just screams comic book. Um, this is a very big departure, very big step up from the first game that they put out, City Heroes. City Heroes tried to take a more, more realistic approach. Everything was very visually stunning, but it wasn't quite comic bookish. It was very, very realistic with the way that they did people, the way they did character design, things like that. Um, the things that are like about Champions Online, aside from just the cell shading, is just all in all, you feel like you're being immersed into a comic book. Um, spell effects are absolutely phenomenal, energy effects. Um, it just screams superhero. Um, this is also going to lead over into the second thing I want to talk to you about Champions Online, which is character creation. Character creation and character powers, well, let's face it, anything involving superheroes, your costume and your origin of your superpowers are going to be probably two of the most important things. Um, in City of Heroes, they offered, they, they set the bar really high. They offered a series of costume choices that had almost limitless combinations, and you were allowed to make very unique characters. Champions Online takes this and brings it up even further. Not only can you customize your body type, you can also sculpt the head. You can do things like edit hand size and arm length. In addition to this, the costume choices are literally limitless. Um, color and all sorts of different items that you can add to the costumes, there are so many of them. 
you can also go as far as to make an asymmetrical field of your character by adding a certain part of costume to one side or the other. Um, it's got really great costumes, but one of the big things that drew me into it was also the fact of wings. Now, I know Aeon, you get wings and stuff like that, and they look pretty cool from the videos. Champions Online, the wings are really wicked looking. Um, they're very detailed, they're very dynamic, and when you fly, you are pumping. Um, this is very, very good. Uh, you can spend a lot of time in this game doing nothing but creating superheroes and costumes. The game really does encourage you to play alts. Um, it also allows you to choose the origin of your superpowers. Um, you can choose whether it comes from an ancient artifact, or radioactive insect, freak medical accident, or just travel the world honing your fighting skills. Um, in City of Heroes, you were very limited. You picked a power set, and that was it. Um, you weren't allowed to deviate. If you were a sword fighter, you were a sword fighter. If you were a fire manipulator, you were a fire manipulator. That was it. Um, they added secondary pools later on. Mm, didn't really work out so well. In Champions, you can pick a straight power set, or you can mix and match. Um, it's very easy to have a telekinetic, double-sword-swinging, fire-breathing hero. If you want to do it, you can do it in this game. Um, you get a multitude of choices that ensures that your character can be exactly what you want it to be with the powers you really want and with the look you really, really want. I give them a lot of kudos for this. As some of my biggest gripes in a lot of the old games and MMOs that are out there right now is you are very limited. You pick a path, that's it. I mean, you can see that in World of Warcraft. If you're a resto shaman, you're throwing chain heals. Um, but in... Champions Online, you see somebody pull out a katana, sure, they can probably slice you, but they might also blow you up with a gust of fire. Another good thing about the, this game is the questing system. Any staple of any do-gooder is fighting evil. And in order to fight evil, you either need to patrol the city streets or get dispatched on missions. In City Heroes, you were given contacts in certain zones that gave you missions to go and complete. The contacts tended to be spread out and require a lot of movement between mission zones and quest givers. The quest giver also wasn't clearly marked unless you used an in-game feature that highlighted where you needed to go. The in-game feature only allowed you to highlight one thing at a time, though. Um, sometimes you get chain missions that would just keep going so you wouldn't have to worry about it, but for the most part, you were doing a lot more traveling than you were just actually being in the game and enjoying the game. In Champions, they give you a more traditional MMO questing feature, complete with question marks and exclamation points. Uh, in Champions, you get all these little things that pop up in very tight working areas. The areas are very, very self-contained. You never really have to go far to pick up missions, complete missions, so it's very, very easy to progress and actually know the game and enjoy the game. Boss battles also happen very, very frequently. Um, not to say that they're easy. There are some boss fights that will you know, beat the shit out of you 10 ways to Sunday and you're going to have to bring in friends. But it varies. You're not just fighting the same 10 mobs over and over and over again. You're facing actual characters that you want to go and fight. Um, the other thing that I liked about the questing system is the zones being as small as they are. You don't have a lot of problems with, like, you need to defeat X number of Y mobs, and you can't find that one last mob that's hiding somewhere on the other side of the zone between two obscure pieces of building stuck, and you can't actually get to it. This is a lot easier to go and just do what you need to do, get your quest in, and just kind of roll with it. Uh, the inventory system is not like a traditional MMO inventory system. You do get an inventory system, but it's kind of, uh, you don't really have a lot you need to carry around. You don't have like gear you need to swap out. You get certain things that will increase 
your power abilities. Um, you get like a tool belt, which holds five perishable items, basically one shots that will allow you to boost your attack or boost your defense or boost your power, um, all sorts of things like that. Now, the game also does have a crafting system, which is kind of rare. Um, a lot of superheroes, you don't really think of crafting. Well, here with crafting, you get, you gather resources and you go to a workbench and you pretty much press a button and you get enhancements. You get things that will increase your character's ability. The thing about champions is you can get items and break it down into raw materials that will give you additional credits that you can use to purchase special blueprints or different things. Yeah, kind of like pockets. Um, the big thing about this game, though, and this is kind of why we're here, is the story of it. This is the meat of it. I mean, after all, we are for the lore. We like story-driven games. City of Heroes has a very interesting, very comic bookish story involving Nazis and alien invasions. I'll spare the details, but needless to say, Paragon City had a pretty interesting clientele of bad guys. In Champions, they have turned on a section of their site entitled Champions Lore. The section provides various stories from within the Champions universe, detailing the history of characters, places, and more. Characters and NPC stories will unfold here. Currently, they're unveiling a piece-by-piece -piece saga of a character named Ironclad. This is one of their NPCs. It's quite a good story. It's actually really well written, and if you have time, I really suggest you go over to their website, which is championsonline.com, click the button at the top that says Champions Lore, and there you go. The CO, Champions Online, plays out very much like a comic book. It's not incredibly deep, but it does have villains like Dr. Destroyer, which anybody who played the beta knows he was the big guy that tried, came and brought all these Tesla-type robots that tried to kill people. What I love about this game is the ability to create your own nemesis. Superman had Lex Luthor, Batman has the Joker, Spider-Man had Venom, and Wolverine had Sabretooth. In Champions Online, you get to make your own arch nemesis. This might not sound like much, but your story will see you interacting with this character quite frequently. Allowing you to create your own nemesis lets you have a vested interest in actually defeating it, unlike a generic villain. I mean, look at WoW when we went and killed Illidan who really felt any pride with doing that. It was just kind of like, oh, here he is, give me loot. And here, it's, this is your, he follows you from the beginning, or she follows you from the beginning. You want to beat the shit out of this person. You want to hunt them down. It draws you in. Uh, another unique feature of this game, not just that, but is the community surrounding it. There are websites that are springing up all over the place, including the official forums that are encouraging players to write their own stories write your character's background, write your arch nemesis background, go ahead and write fan fiction surrounding it. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's very unique to this game and it is incredibly, incredibly amazing. Um, just trying to close out cause I know I've been ranting here for a little bit. <laughs> uh, this is the, this is the next step in the evolution of hero MMOs. It's a step up from city heroes, but it's not, the end of where they could go with it. Um, this will keep you interested. This will keep you going. It has enough varied things that you can do, enough things that you can just go and feel heroic about that you'll play this game until maybe the next one comes out. And the next one, I believe, the next superhero game coming out is going to be DC Universe Online. That will be the next one we'll talk about. <laughs> Yeah, but what's the point then of pushing you towards playing this one if it's just pushing you towards playing another game, you know? It, does this actually have the legs to carry you through? 
through expansions or patches or whatever, wherein you feel like you've invested a lot in your superhero where you want to keep playing through all of that? Or are you just looking at a this game as being a, okay, I'm going to progress through, beat everything that I can content-wise in this game, and then I'll be moving on to DC Universe? Well, that's a very good point. And like Simodian here is talking about in chat, the City of Heroes, you could beat the game. You beat the last villain, and then that was it. There was no further story. There was no... Uh, there was nothing to draw you in. However, in Champions Online, they encourage you to, to keep playing because there are so many different story arcs to follow. There are different villains that they're unveiling over time. I honestly think this has the legs to have multiple, multiple expansions or content releases if they go that route and will be able to hold its own for quite a while. Now, I'm not just saying that it's going to be like a stepping stone until DC Universe Online comes out. Um, that's going to be a whole other animal. But this game is, it has enough to keep you playing for quite a while. Well, that's good to hear because, frankly, when I'm looking at this, see, I looked at, I didn't actually play any of the beta stuff, but I looked at all of the videos for it. And, of course, that doesn't give you uh, an accurate dep depiction of what the game is and in terms of the lore and everything else like that. But there's so much of it that I found was, I don't know, far too cartoony. And I couldn't find... I didn't think that it'd be something that I could immerse myself in that I would then want to invest that much into the character so that it'd be something that I want to progress that character farther into the game. You know what I mean? Well, I understand that, but I also don't think that this game is, it, it's a niche game. It really, really is. Let's face it. Um, comic nerds are going to love it like myself. Uh, people who love superheroes and want to just run around in tights and blow stuff up. It's going to appeal to them. Uh, it's not going to appeal to everybody. The game itself is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun just to sit down and just kind of go to town and just watch all the pretty stuff go by, you know. But it's not. I can honestly say it's not going to be for everybody. Just like City Heroes wasn't for everybody. It's a very niche market. However, I think there are enough comic geeks. I think there are enough people that are absolutely in love with. Uh, with superheroes and comics in general that yeah they'll be able to sustain itself see the thing that i'm thinking is that if i'm looking at this and i'm looking at it in terms of okay um comic book hero type stories of course um I have a choice of playing this, which is, yes, an MMO, so it's going to give me a lot more options. Or I can play Arkham Asylum, which is a fantastic story, but it's a definite start, definite end to it. Is Champions Online really going to be able to beat that? I think so. Um, maybe not so much beat it as in beat it into the ground, but it will be able to provide enough content that, I mean, I beat Arkham Asylum, I'll be perfectly honest, on hard mode in about nine hours of play. Um, with Champions, I've been dicking around and having a great time from beta um, to now and just spending hours and hours and hours just loving finding things, loving finding new quests and looking at the zones themselves. I think the game itself operates maybe not at a higher level than Arkham Asylum, but at a different level. Arkham Asylum is very stylized. It screams to the comic geeks of us the nostalgia. It has the original voice actors from the animated series. It is a fantastic game. 
but it is short. Champions Online will allow you to create massive stories for yourself, especially with your arch nemesis, as well as all the villain NPCs that they're going to be supplying, that it's it's just phenomenal. I, I honestly, I don't feel this way about very many games, but I love playing this game. Okay. Yeah, no, I, again, it is something, and, and I don't want to make it seem as if I'm not into the... Um, superhero kind of genre because i am i actually enjoy that it is something that's very interesting to me i hell i watch all of the the movies as well even though a lot of them are crap i still enjoy the genre i i do really quite enjoy that that being said i find it hard to find a game wherein they depict it in such a way where it's you find yourself able to live as that i mean at, at the heart you're either playing a game because you can immerse yourself in it completely and feel as though you're the character. I mean, let's take, for example, the Uncharted, which allows you to feel that you can be this every guy. It, and it's easy to feel that. And then you have the type of game wherein it's so completely remote from you that there's no way in hell that you can invest any of your personality in it so you're either playing because of that or you're playing because of the the, the gameplay and it's just kind of fun to play but when you're looking at a, a superhero type of game wherein you have to completely immerse yourself in it to be able to believe it to invest any of your your emotions in it again if you're just playing just a pew pew then you won't get this but if you're playing because it actually means something to you what's going on on the screen and the amount of dedication that you put into the character then that has an impact on your enjoyment in the game and i find that when i'm looking at champions online and again i could be wrong because i actually haven't played it what i'm finding looking at it is i'm finding it very difficult to actually you know, immerse myself in the game and to feel as though I could be, I could be this character. I could be making that big a difference. Well, and to that, I would have to say, is it any different than pretending you're a cow? Is it any different than pretending Dude, you're a space goat? My cow <laughs> rules. Take <laughs> that saying, back now. But I'm just saying, <laughs> is it any different than what we do? Okay, multiple I'll, times a week. You know, we're we're immersing ourselves in that character, and I'm sorry, but I can't be a giant minotaur. I could go out with my sword and go hunt down crime and become a vigilante. I find it a little easier to get into that role than it would be my space goat throwing chain heels. Just saying. Okay, I'm going to I'll, I'll, I'll take that bet, and I will raise you a fact that for all the bitching that we will do about WoW, which over time will be quite a bit just for their listeners now um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that they do right and I don't have a problem it's not that I'm a fanboy of anybody I don't have a problem saying when somebody's doing something right and when somebody's doing something wrong and of course it's completely subject, subjective in terms of what I feel WoW does a lot of things wrong in my opinion but there's a lot of things they do right the fact that you can play a cow and completely immerse yourself in that character to me speaks volumes okay so to me that argument doesn't hold water simply because this is something wow has done well by giving you a very very deep lore 
pertaining to the Torans, so that you can actually believe that there's a very deep history to this race. It's something that you can invest yourself in based on the history that they created, not necessarily one that you created. Whereas with City of, or sorry, Champions Online, it's basically just what you create on the spot, and that's no. what you've got. Well, no, no, and, and maybe I misspoke. There is a story. There are characters. There are a background. There are NPCs that you will interact with that will unveil how the city became the center of not just superhero but supervillain activity. And it will. There are tidbits that will keep you strung along. If you don't, if you have no interest whatsoever in investing yourself into your character, there is enough going on with just the NPCs that it, it is there. However, what I will say, play the game. If I get a free trial, I will be more than happy to give it to you just so you can play it. And I think after about an hour of playing it, you'll see what I mean. Can I have it instead of him? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) See, he's got a paying job and and whatnot, and I'm kind of digging it. So, yeah, right here, buddy. You're a Mr. Mom loser, and we accept that, and we're glad for it. Okay, (laughs) we're going to move on from there, and this is actually going to be the segment of this show wherein we share a little bit of our own work in terms of gaming and See, this is going to be a little bit more fluid in terms of what content you can expect. Periodically, you're going to hear whether it is fan fiction or work that we personally are doing in terms of game and game development or things like that. See, the thing is, is that both myself, Joe and Enrique write quite a bit. And as I've made very clear, I think that the backbone of any game is strong writing. I will go as far as to say I think that the backbone of any movie, of any TV show, of any game, of anything is strong writing. That's what it's all about. And so being that we're all actually writers, it's something that I want to share on the podcast. Now, whether it's something that interests you or not, that that's entirely up to you and it's very easy to fast forward through this section but we're going to be sharing whether again it's game stories that we're working on or game development things that we're working on or fan fiction i know that i started a little rp character a while back and it's something that i'd never done in a wow I've been writing since I was 16. It's something that is very natural to me, and I don't have a problem putting myself in the mindset of whatever character it is that I create, whether it's a young character, another race, another gender, whatever. It's not a problem for me. So the idea of playing a role-playing character was kind of interesting, and I decided to play this little warlock female warlock and I before I even decided on that I kind of decided on a story arc for her Uh, the thing with writing is that often you are going to do one of two things you're you're either going to create an entirely crafted story wherein you've plotted everything out or you are going to wing it you're basically going to create a character and then let that character define the story what i did is i wanted to take a little bit of my writing background and applying 
applied to the writing wherein, wherein I took a character and I, did, I sculpted that character fairly heavily, but I didn't want to create the story wherein her entire story arc was set in stone. So I created a little warlock on Earthen Ring, and her story arc is basically there whether or not she follows it entirely will be another matter because i want to leave that open to experiences that she comes across as she is living in that world and already i'm seeing that she's coming across things that are different than what i had anticipated and that is of course courtesy of players that i come across it's that human factor that has a huge impact on what you do with your character with your story something that you don't see when you are writing a story in your bedroom or your office and there's nobody to bother you and you know where the story's going to go. So here is the first part of this character's role-playing section. Escaping madness. There's not much light, but for the slivers from the cracks in the ship's hull. She remains cloaked in shadows under the stairs, an occasional flicker of light illuminating her face as waves crash into the ship, causing it to sway. No one saw her board, no slink to the hull, and hide behind barrels. They'd been preoccupied with loading supplies bound for the land of elves. Watch, people, her father would tell her, manipulating her thoughts when instead he should have been teaching her to walk. They falter. Often. His voice, grave at all times, fades from her memory. Study them before acting, she whispers, finishing his sentence with disdain. She hates that he infected her mind, and that she cannot trust because of him. As the boat rocks, she reaches into her front pocket. Her fingers feel the cool of the metal. She pulls it out cautiously, that it may not slip from her hand. Slowly, she touches it, recognizing the shape without the need for light, though she holds it as the fading sun glints through the hull's cracks to land upon its surfaces, and it warms her hand. She feels a pulse course through her palm, like a blood entering her body instead of escaping. Frightened, she quickly returns a dragon-shaped trinket to her pocket and rubs her palm frantically that she may clear her mind. Too much power, she thinks, her eyes unable to focus, seeing glimpses of deep, dark reds and purples. Footsteps approach her from deeper within the hall, and she pulls her cloak's hood lower and closes her eyes, afraid that they may be too bright for such a dark surrounding. The sound stops within arm's reach as a pulsing continues up into her arms, the energy pushing its way towards her heart. She cannot see, but she can hear the sailor's breath, shallow and raspy from having smoked too much. He smells of liquor, but does not stagger. The pulse causes her back to arch slowly so that her clothes do not rustle. She needs to breathe out that which seeped into her, however to do so would reveal her, she's certain. She's heard stories of captured castaway girls, and though she feels she's the power of demons within her, she's very much afraid of this surge. She fears to release it all, even for the sake of her protection, would rip every plank from this large ship to leave her stranded at sea. The pulse reaches into her chest to travel through her vital organs, and in a moment of clarity, as the sailor takes a step towards her, she quietly reaches towards him. Suddenly, the pulse ignores her heart and rushes quickly through her arm again. She opens her eyes and stares at the sailor from under her cloak. 
As she'd expected, her eyes burn far too brightly because he reacts immediately, though is not fast enough. The pulse escapes her middle finger and flies towards the sailor instantly. His head shoots back as the pain seizes his body, having not even the feeble skills which she has to attempt to control the energy. He would scream were he not dying so rapidly, blood-red wisps of life escaping his every pores. She counts the seconds, watching, strangely excited, though she knows she should not be. She has never slain another, despite having been taught to since before her birth, her mother reciting incantations while she rests fitfully in her womb. Two. The sailor falls to his knees, unable to breathe. Three. He turns his face towards her, and through the pain she sees the question. Four. Why? He falls finally, his body collapsing upon itself. She does not feel remorse despite that moment of humanity, for she'd seen the truth in him before she'd even opened her eyes. She does, however, attempt to calm her mind and control her emotions. She brings her hands together, still shaking and warm, and exhales over them. She has been corrupted, assaulted, and betrayed by humanity, not simply by her father and mother, but by the other warlocks of Stormwind, the vendors, the guards, the very children who would have you believe they are merely playing. She has to leave, lest she kill them all. She has been imprisoned by them far too long. Her hand reaches down and presses against a cloth covering her front pocket. She feels the shape of the trinket which she stole from her father's cabinet before leaving. She meant for it to feed her, believing some vendor may purchase it from her. However, the energy within the metal dragon speaks to her. She tries not to listen, certain she cannot control it, as her father can. Still, she stares down at the corpse before her and smiles despite herself. And we're back. Okay, so we're going to be covering a couple of questions before we end the show. It's been an interesting show to say the least, especially considering the technical difficulties we've been experiencing (laughs) as well as the scheduling difficulties the show is running a lot longer than we'd anticipated but that's because of the problems we've been having now that being said though there are some questions that were fielded to us that i did want us to cover so i'm going to let enrique handle that go ahead um well to be totally honest there was only one real question that came through and that was Samodian asking specifically about how city of heroes compared to champions online and champions online was joe's massive spiel you know i mean he's he went off on that in the most concise way possible uh as far as his he answered it right there on the spot it's the game has a lot of lore to it it has a lot of background story champions online um doesn't suffer from the same kind of repetitiveness that uh city of heroes and cities of villains and whatnot did i mean that eventually was like you said you could beat the game and then that was it and there was nothing more but combat after that it was just you know mindless grinding and playing but uh, Champions Online is something I wasn't really even remotely interested in. And after learning more about it now and giving it the time of day, I even went to the website while he was talking about it. Uh, it seems like something that I'm willing to give a, a little shot to. Uh, the only other question was actually somebody asked me this uh, prior to the taping, prior to this to this recording, um, was about Ion or Aeon, however you wish to pronounce it. And that is what exactly is the the storyline of the game like what is the purpose of the game why are we doing what it is that we're doing and the 
answer I'm going to give is the short, extremely abridged answer because we've already run this podcast way too long past schedule. But uh, like you know, like you said, Roger, there's um, technical difficulties and such beforehand with new stream and recording. But uh, as far as the story of Ion, uh, imagine the best way to explain it is the world itself. Imagine as if Earth was hollow. The planet that you are playing on, the world in which you play on in Ion, uh, Atreya, is a hollow world, kind of like an apple core. It was a shell-like uh, Christmas ornament. And there was no sun coming from the outside, obviously. Uh, in the very middle of this world, the very core of this world was a tower, the Tower of Eternity, that connected the northern and southern halves together. So it looked almost identical to an apple core. Um, the god of this world, which is named Ion, resided in that tower and basically gave out you know, all the life energy and whatnot, the rays of you know, light from this tower – supplied everybody with life uh, he created a race of dragons and this race was supposed to be like a protector very noble race they eventually uh, just became corrupted over time through power and they realized how much more powerful they were than the other races of humans and other humanoids that were in existence and so uh, eventually they evolved into something called the Balor which is like a draconic kind of like half-human, half-dragon, really funky, evil, nasty race. And they wanted to basically take over everything. They defied the god Ion and challenged him because they wanted to have his powers. They wanted to have the powers of a god. So they just started slaughtering everybody and physically attacking the tower and such. Ion created Davids, which is basically humans turned angels. That's what you play as in the game. You're a human. You go through your ascension quest. You ascend and you become a David, which you're, you're immortal at this point. And your whole pur you know, purpose is to fight the Balor and whatnot. Uh, eventually, the angels split up into two separate factions with all the human followers for each specific faction. Um, one faction wanted peace. The other faction wanted all-out war and domination. Uh, they had a major conflict with each other and with the Balor, which resulted in an attack that caused the Tower of Eternity to shatter. Now, when that shattering happened, uh, it split the world in two, into two shell halves the half up north which was Asmode, and the half on the south which is elysia uh, the one on the south uh, by the way that the world is tilted is actually getting sunlight and is very much like uh, azeroth or earth or whatever you know and it's you know a prosperous healthy land the land up north has no sunlight it just gets residual twilight it's perpetual dark nasty very cold and very desolate and barren and your people, whichever faction you play on, are either people who survived up in the north or people who survived down in the south. You did not know that this other faction was alive at all, that they survived the, the cataclysm, which is what they call it in that game. Eventually, one thing leads to another. You find each other again. You blame each other for what happened and demand that you renounce your beliefs and yada, yada, yada. And that's where this big you know, holy war comes between the two main factions fighting over this feud that began – you know, thousands upon thousands of years ago. And that's that's pretty much the story of Ion. That's the whole premise of that game. I mean, uh, I actually, that was the only other question. Yeah, I actually feel that it's a fairly deep lore in terms of something completely different than what has been done over and over and over again. I'm so bored of seeing the same Tolkien-esque 
lower time and time and time again that it is very refreshing to see someone take a completely different aspect a different route and say let's play with something different instead of the same old orcs and trolls and you know the same tolkien-esque based um um, fan fiction is is all it is so not Mm -hmm. to speak ill of all of those games that do that some do it very well but it's nice to see something completely refreshing where it's new it's completely new completely fresh and from there they have a lot of room to grow and to expand on the world because i do find that the world is fairly small in comparison to say azeroth but i think that there is still a lot of room for growth yeah, that's one thing I've noticed with a lot of – even they even spoke about it, uh, a lot of Western kind of RPGs, tabletop, you name it. It's all something to do with Tolkien and his work. It's all based in some form loosely upon that, that there's a light side of you know people, there's a dark side, you know, there's evil, good versus evil. That's how it is with a game like Ion, you know – the Asmodians in the north, they may look more beast-like, they may look more hardened and, and nasty and mean, but they're not evil. Oh, no, and, their quests are yeah. just as noble, for lack of a better word, as the Elio's quests. I, I, I didn't see any quests for either side that could have been defined as an evil side you know what i mean so all the emo kids from wow that are horde players simply because they're the badasses are not going to find that same level of badassedness as playing asmodians exactly it'll be it'll be everywhere that's the thing i mean there are those down that are elysian you know and they look very fair-skinned very righteous you know very i guess pompous you can even say to a degree but they're not evil they're not necessarily even the good guys it's just two totally different factions both believe that they're right and that the enemy is wrong there is no disputing this whatsoever and that's that's where the lore really sells it to me because i want to know that when I look up in the, in the sky of the game and I see the other side of the world and I see you know, the lights of their cities and whatnot and I can tell, okay, that's where the enemy is. That's, you know, that's my, my blood-sworn you know, ancient enemy. That being said, though, I think that they would have gone a little bit further had they actually done a much more clear definition of good versus evil. I, I think that the, the scales would have tipped, of course, towards the darker side, which is always the case with any game because you have a lot of people who feel the need to, I am a badass in a game, so that's what they play. But I think that had they created much more of a good versus evil polar extremes and given us quests that were much darker in nature, it would have given you a much deeper, richer experience when you were role-playing or uh, following the quest lines of that darker race you know what i mean instead of the fact is now whether you're playing elios or asmodian when you're actually doing the quest you can be either and or you don't get a feeling of there being much of a difference in terms of the underlying drive to keep going whereas had they created a much more of a polar extreme in terms of good versus evil it would give you a different reason to complete the quest a different reason to progress you know what i mean 
Yeah, I definitely I know exactly what you mean. And that's this game has a lot of potential, hands down. And I think a lot of other developers can take kind of like just a tip in how to set a game up to be totally and utterly free in your hands. I mean, the, there's no legitimate like role playing server one not, but there's just like you said, there's so much room to grow here. And the lore is substantial, but it's very much all it does is bring you to present. There's no nothing past the present as far as the lore involving your character. There's going to be a lot of nice role playing. There's going to be a lot of great lore coming out of this game. And it's going to be a wonderful platform for people who want to maybe get into writing this sort of thing because it's it'll just help. It'll help with the hardest part personally for me anyway when it comes to writing things, you know, fiction things or fan fictions and whatnot is – setting up the premise you know you got to have a world to tell your story in and this game does a wonderful job of doing that without just overwhelming and over-encompassing kind of like how world of warcraft does the warcraft universe is freaking huge and many many years old with thousands of different stories put in there so that can be somewhat overwhelming to people just getting into it thank you for listening to for the lore this has been, of course, Roger from Wow Dogs and For the Lore, as well as Joe from World of Maticus and Way of the Totem, and Enrique from Spooncraft. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Make sure to tune in for the live show on Ustream on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, with the pre-show starting at 6.45. We'll see you then. These dudes can hear us. Well, one guy. It's working. (laughs) Okay, you guys shouldn't be able to see me anymore, right? No, no, I don't see you anymore. I just see the For the Lore kind of cut off banner. That's good because I'm dancing. I'm dancing away. (laughs) This is not something you want to (laughs) see. Nah, we're bullshitting you. We can still totally see you. Shut up. (laughs) That's not fucking funny. (laughs) Because literally, I (laughs) was. I'm I'm not comfortable, but it's all right. I don't care if you're comfortable. Sorry, let me rephrase <laughs> it. You're doing it, and that's that. <laughs> no, I have I have the show notes here. Did you know? According to this thing, it says intro bumper light chit chat. Not Rick start talking shit about the breaking news. That's after breaking news, Enrique. It's right after, dude. <laughs> it's, it's like it's gonna be very soon. You better have it. Is all I'm saying. Okay, hold on a second here. <laughs> I'm going to need another glass of wine before we start. (laughs) This one's almost done. Mom, I got a podcast. Come and listen. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much it. (laughs) Yeah, you know, that's exactly how it is. (laughs) Roger's still uh, out, right? Yeah, he's probably going to go crack open a a new, uh, new keg. We're professionals. Totally. Did you see the size of these glasses? Shut up. <laughs> it's a fucking bottle and a half already, Christ. It's right, man. They use the fucking metric system up there in Canada. Joe, you weren't thinking you were actually making that 830 raid, were you? Apparently not. I have been bitch slapped and bent over so many times that I cannot count it. We've already lost one co-host. You're, you're, you're just a couple of drinks shy of leaving me too, so let's move on. Okay, ready? And one, two, three.
Okay, so we're back from break and we are just going to be can, uh, checking. Oh, wow. Okay, Way that's, to go. that's an outtake. Again. Let's try it. Three, two, one, and we're back. It's like two fucking paragraphs left. <laughs> Take that, bitches. You're so fucking drunk. Let's see. Raj is on his second bottle of wine, and things are progressing really rapidly. <laughs> he also broke the audio feed at one point. We started talking about. Don't blame me for that. Don't blame me for that's not right. It could have been <laughs> Joe's fault. Joe's not here. It was Joe's fault. Yeah, Joe. Joe was bastard. Joe. That's what He's happened. a bastard. He'll listen to this in a couple days and he'll just totally come down on it. It's like, this is the first and last show he's doing. Bastard, am I? Watch this. I quit. I'll be Spooner, Spork, Fork, Kitchen Knife, you name it. I will be it. Yeah. Unless it takes you guys, you know, mid and half to freaking answer me, you bastards. Did you Did you see my wife? She handed me a note. So, oh, that's not a good thing. I just yeah. kind of like, so I was like, who is that? Someone just like yeah. poked in. She looked kind of pissed. See, I have a note that says it's 10 o'clock. The dogs are acting jumpy. I'm going to bed. That <laughs> is the cue, folks. Podcast is over. <laughs> I have to go <laughs> walk the dogs. And then it's time for bed. <laughs> <laughs> 